Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and this is my podcast where all I do is take the questions that you guys have sent in to me. Now, there's a couple ways you can get questions sent to me. The primary way is by making sure you send a question to thejohncampiapodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's thejohncampiapodcast at gmail.com. Now, also, you're going to want to make sure you're following me on social media, on Facebook or on Twitter, because every once in a while, I put out calls for questions there. Like, I'll get on my Facebook page and say, hey guys, I'm doing a podcast tomorrow, sending your questions now. And I'm going to let you know, I'm going to start favoring, like, I'll take just about any kind of question I will, but I'm going to particularly start favoring questions that are about news items that came up that week, because I want to hear more opinions about what's going on in the news that week from you guys, and things I talk about on the movie vlog and things like that. So... With all that out of the way, you guys notice I am now doing these podcasts also on video because so many of you guys asked for it. It's a little bit more effort. I'm also putting up a background because I just did it in front of my green screen last week and everybody complained that they didn't like looking at the green screen. So I'm putting a little bit more effort into the podcast thing. I hope you guys like it, but please, by all means, let me know in the comments. Do you guys like having video? Do you not care? Do you prefer having just a green background? Do you prefer actually having a little bit of a background here? I want to know what you think because ultimately I make this show for you guys. All right. With that out of the way, let's jump into the questions. And the first one today comes to us from Charlton Thomas who writes, I remember three months ago when Chris Evans was interviewed by Ellen. He said that he, had, he would start shooting his part of Infinity War in May. But Infinity War has been shooting since January, February. Just to be clear, it started shooting in February. So my question is, do you think Chris Evans has a small role in Avengers Infinity War? Um, it's a fair question to ask because on its surface, hey, it starts shooting in February. I think it was near the end of February. So it's been shooting for a couple of months before Chris Evans even started shooting his scenes. Now, a lot of movies will shoot their entire movie in like 12 to 16 weeks. So hearing a guy is coming on like 12 weeks late or even 10, 10 weeks late, let's call it 10 weeks late here, that sounds like, oh, maybe he's not in much, but we got to remember a couple things. Number one, uh, Avengers Infinity War is not an average movie. I believe it's shooting for like five plus months. I believe they plan for nine to 10 months of shooting the next two Avengers movies. So you're looking at a very long shoot. The other thing to keep in mind is not every actor has to be in every scene. Another thing to keep in mind is that they don't necessarily shoot movies in order. So it's not like they shoot scene one and then they shoot scene two and then they shoot scene three and then they shoot scene four. No, they just shoot. I mean, I remember there's a few movies that like shot their final scene of the movie first. It was the first thing they shot. So let's keep that in mind too. The most important thing to keep in mind though about Avengers Infinity War is how many big, huge stars are in the movie. Like you're talking about Tom Holland, you're talking Chris Pratt, you're talking Robert Downey Jr., you're talking Chris Hemsworth, you're talking Chris Evans, you're talking Scarlett Johansson, you're talking Samuel L. Jackson, you're talking, you know, uh, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. You're talking Paul Rudd, you're talking uh, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, you're talking like on and on. You got all these big mega stars in this movie. And so they're trying to coordinate their schedules. And what I believe they're doing here is the same thing like what they did with uh, Scarlett Johansson when she got pregnant. Like she got pregnant, they're going to shoot the movie. So what they did was they rearranged a lot of their shooting to make sure Scarlett Johansson shot most of her scenes as early as possible. So by the time she gets further into her pregnancy, they don't need her shooting anymore. So all this probably means is that they've worked out their scheduling. I'm sure some guys like Robert Downey Jr., like 
he might have shown up in February and may have only shot four weeks and then he's gone even though the movie keeps shooting for another few months. I'm sure Chris Hemsworth is going to come in there for a certain window of time. Basically, I think they've arranged the shooting schedule so they can shoot all of Captain America's stuff now. And they didn't do it earlier because Chris Evans was probably busy. And I'm sure they had to do something like that for each one of the stars. So when you're asking, do I think that this means Chris Evans isn't going to be in much of the movie? I find it very difficult to believe that because up until this point, the Avengers you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been very Captain America and Iron Man centric. It's really revolved around these two guys for the most part, whether we like that or not. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I don't know. So the concept that Chris Evans, one of the head guys of the Civil War, isn't going to be in it much, I find that very unlikely. I think the most likely scenario here is that they just simply had to arrange a schedule, so they shot a whole bunch of stuff without him, as I'm sure they did without a couple of the actors, and now he comes in and they're going to shoot really heavy on his Infinity War stuff and probably on the next movie too. So that's probably the most likely scenario. But what do you guys think? Jump in the comments section and let me know. All right. This next question comes from Matej Vahir, who writes... With many movies now taking inspiration from the same parts of history, World War II, or legends, the Arthurian legend, do you believe that at some point Hollywood will explore other lesser-known events? Personally, I'd love to see the Siege of Sagatvar put to the big screen. Um, it's a really interesting question. Um, well, you know, 300, for example is a thing taking, taken from old myth that not a lot of people knew or, or had ever heard about before. The legend of, I always pronounce it differently, but Zagadvar is, or the Siege of Zagadvar, I should say, is one of the coolest military things in human history. Now, I don't remember it all precisely, so please correct me for where I'm wrong. But the basic story of the Siege of Zagadvar is that you have the Ottoman Empire, right, was spreading across Europe and is led by this sultan. I believe he's like, he was old, he was like in his 70s. So they're spreading across, and he's marching on Vienna. But I believe it was a Croatian dude. There was this Croatian lord who was running like hit-and-run strikes against the Ottoman Empire and their supply lines from his small little fortress. He had like 3,000 soldiers. So the sultan, the head of the Ottoman Empire, he decides that on his march to Vienna, he's going to take a little detour and settle some business with this Croatian lord dude. He's going to bitch slap him around and, and put an end to that and then move on to Vienna. Now, he was marching with an army of 100,000 strong, as I understand it. So they come to this Croatian's fort or, or fortress, and he's only got like 3,000 dudes. And they keep turning them back and turning them back and turning them back. The one number I read was that by the time the Ottoman Empire finally won the battle, they had lost over 30,000 soldiers, and they lost months of time. And... Just as the cherry on top, the sultan, who was the leader, he died of natural causes. Like he just happened to die during that time and all that kind of stuff. And eventually that just kind of thwarted the whole march on Vienna. Some historians call that battle with 100,000 versus 3,000, uh, the battle that saved civilization. That's what they call it, the battle that saved civilization. And it's an incredible story. So look it up on you know Wikipedia, read about it online, go on YouTube, find some videos, some documentaries about it. It's actually really, really cool. So the question is, you know, we see a lot of movies about World War II and famous incidents and fa famous periods of time that we know. What about some of these lesser known things? I think one of the main reasons 
you see these historical type of films talking about, you know, World War II and talking about periods of time that we really know and are familiar with, or even old legends like, like the Arthur legend that we know and understand is because the studios know if you're talking, if you make a movie about a subject matter that the audience is already aware of, then that helps with your marketing. You know, one of the reasons that the social network works so well is because everybody knows Facebook. Everybody uses Facebook. So you make a movie about Facebook, something everybody knows and understands and has some sort of connection to one way or the other, you have a better chance of getting those people out to the movie theater. People know World War II. They know a lot about World War II. So you make a movie about World War II, there's a connection there with the audience already. It's a little bit more challenging when you're dealing with historical events that most of your potential audience have never heard of. Now, that doesn't mean it precludes it. That doesn't mean it's out of bounds and that it can't happen. Not at all. Absolutely can happen. But it does make it more challenging for a studio to do that because they know marketing-wise, they're already starting behind the eight ball trying to tell a story about a period of time that nobody's ever even heard of. So that becomes a little bit challenging. So while I think the Battle of Zagadvar is, and I'm probably butchering the name of it, but the Siege of Zagadvar, while that is probably be a really cool movie, I think events like that have a smaller chance of getting made because they are unknown to a lot of the audience. And that's a big risk for the studios. But who knows? Maybe some studios, some producer will step up and decide to take a swing of it. Uh, I'm sure they'll totally whitewash it and make it about, uh, you know, some white European country marching on somebody else. I'm not really sure. But uh, that's my answer to that. All right, guys. So let's move on to the next question. The next question comes to us from Joseph Powell. And Joseph Powell writes, Hey, John, been watching your show from the AMC days, and this is my first question. Oh, thank you very much, Joseph. Uh, Do you think Jared Leto's performance as the Joker was so poorly received because of his inability to portray the character, or was it David Ayer's inability to get the best out of him as a director? Thanks for your time, and keep up the great work. Yeah, look, I'm going to tell you something right now. The hate that Joseph... Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's, that Jared Leto's Joker, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Joker would have been a totally different thing, that Jared Leto's Joker gets, the hate that that character gets, um, I don't get it. I thought Jared Leto gave a very unique and very cool Joker performance. I did. Now look, every time they've brought a Joker to the big screen, they try to make it very different and unique from previous incarnations and yet be faithful to the spirit of the character at the same time, that's very difficult to do. You know, Jack Nicholson's Joker was way different from Cesar Romero's Joker. Uh, Heath Ledger's Joker was way different than Jack Nicholson's Joker. Well, now you're making a new Joker, and you want to make him different from Cesar or from Jack or from Heath. So you're trying to create this character while understanding, putting him in a modern mobster kind of context, if you will. And you've got a really big challenge. I thought that what they did with the Joker and what Jared Leto did with that Joker was great. Now, the movie underused him. They didn't have him in nearly enough of the film. And the scenes they had him in were a little bit questionable. But I thought the performance Leto gave was fantastic. Honestly, people who say Jared didn't perform well, they simply don't know what they're talking about. Maybe you didn't like the Joker they decided to portray, but don't tell me Leto didn't give a great performance. You just didn't like the character they chose for him to play. That's what it really is. He gave an awesome performance. I don't care what anybody says. Jared Leto gave an awesome performance. And now it's up to the individual audience about whether or not they like that. Now, I think a lot of the audience was going in just wanting to see another Heath Ledger Joker. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
But when I was talking to some friends of mine who didn't particularly like the Joker in Suicide Squad, when I really started talking to them, it started to become clear that what they were looking for was the same Joker from The Dark Knight Rises, or from The Dark Knight, I mean. That's the Joker they wanted. And anything other than, than that Joker was going to leave them unhappy. Now, I don't think that's the case with everybody. I think there's a lot of people out there, all film is subjective, just saw Suicide Squad and saw that Joker and just didn't like it. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's cool. But... I mean, don't suggest that Leto didn't give a great performance because he didn't. I thought David Ayer got exactly the Joker out of Jared Leto that David Ayer wanted. But, like I said, I think they misused the character and underused the character. And so I think, and you know, a lot of people just didn't like the movie. So if they didn't like the movie, chances are they're not going to like the characters that are in it. And so there you go. But, um, yeah, I just think for the most part, people didn't like it. Not because of Leto's performance, not because of Ayer's direction of the character, but because it wasn't the Joker they wanted to see. They wanted to see a different kind of Joker. And yeah, nothing wrong with that. All right, let's move on. The next question comes to us from Christopher O'Neill, who writes, With the great success Warner Brothers is getting with the Lego movies, and the fact that Warner Brothers owns the rights to Harry Potter, what do you think the chances of getting a Harry Potter Lego movie are? Thanks for taking my question and keep up the great work. Yeah, this year, one of the most underappreciated and underviewed movies this year, I thought was the Lego Batman movie. The Lego Batman movie is a whole hell of a lot of fun. It's so well done. And you think, oh, it's a Lego movie, it's for children. I'm telling you, half of the jokes, if you haven't seen the Lego Batman movie, half of the jokes in this movie are going to go way over kids' heads. They're not going to get it. Like, if you're not 35 or 40 years old, there's a whole bunch of jokes in this movie, you're not going to understand at all because, because it's totally targeted at adults, all right? But, and yet, it was completely fun for kids and completely fun for adults and great nostalgia factor and really good humor and blah, 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 blah. It was a wonderful movie. But a really interesting thing happened. Nobody saw it. Now, it's not that nobody saw it, but compared to the Lego movie, it didn't make nearly as much money as the Lego movie did. It went like this. So Lego movie made this much, and then this new one kind of made that much. And that, sh and that shocked a lot of people because it is such a good movie with such a popular character. And yet, people seem to be over the Lego thing. Now, we've got another new Lego movie coming out called Lego Ninjago. Much lesser known characters than Batman. So I'm very interested and very curious to see what the box office response, are the audience going to go out and support Lego Ninjago? Because here's the thing, if Lego Ninjago comes out and it makes even less money than Lego Batman, then I think the chances of a Harry Potter Lego movie are very slim. Because if Warner Brothers sits back and says, hey, we keep cranking out these Lego movies and less and less people go to see them. Like the Batman movie, some people, like my buddy Jeremy Johns, he actually thought Batman Lego was better than the Lego movie. I thought the Lego movie was a little bit better than the Batman Lego movie, but they're both great. So Warner Brothers has got to be sitting there thinking, hell, if we make a great movie like Lego Batman and less and less people come to see it, and then we put on Lego Ninjago and it makes even less money... Are they going to want to put up a big amount of cash for another digital CG film for, and yes, it is digital CG. They don't actually do the movie with Legos. Are they going to put up a whole bunch of money to make another one? I really doubt it. I really doubt it. So we'll have to see now. If Lego Ninjago comes out and it's a big hit and makes more money than Lego Batman, then I think it becomes a possibility. But if what I suspect is true, which is that Ninjago will make less than the Lego Batman movie... I've got a feeling we may not see any more Lego movies, at least for a while. So, I mean, they're still planning on doing a sequel 
to the original The Lego Movie. But until that comes out, I think we're just going to have to wait and see. Great question, though. All right. The next question comes to us from Scott Ring, who writes, Do you think Kathleen Kennedy, by the way, Kathleen Kennedy is the president, the head of Lucasfilm. Do you think Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm will directly address the Han Solo film director controversy at D23? By the way, D23 is Disney's semi-annual convention. It's kind of like Comic-Con, but just for Disney properties, all right? So do you think Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm will directly address the Han Solo film director controversy at D23? And if so, what do you think the best move will be? Well, for those of you who have been living under a rock and don't know what he's talking about, uh, Lord and Miller, the directors of the first Lego movie, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, 21 Jump Street and 22 Jump Street, they were the directors of the Han Solo movie. Then, 80% of the way into shooting the film, Disney fired them. Because I think, from what I understand, Lord and Miller were really making a spoof slapstick comedy. And that's not what the script called for, and it's not what Lucasfilm wanted. So they dumped them, and now Ron Howard is in, finishing the movie, and he's going to direct all the reshoots and direct the post-production and the editing and stuff like that. So the question is, will Kathleen Kennedy address this issue at D23? No chance. No chance. I think they'll probably bring out Ron Howard, but the chance that they'll actually talk about the Lord Miller situation, no way. Because why would you? Honestly, why would you? Look, everybody talked about this for at least a week or two when it happened, about you know Lucasfilm firing Lord Miller, and everybody's talking about it online and blah, 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 and now it's finally started to quiet down. You don't see as many articles, you don't see as many videos, you don't see people talking about it as much now. If Kathleen Kennedy were to get on stage at D23 and start talking about it again, all that does is reignite it and gets everybody talking about it again. Lucasfilm and Disney doesn't want people talking about the director controversy. That's not what they want people talking about. They want people talking about how excited they are for Han Solo and the future Star Wars movies. That's what they want people talking about. And so, and it's kind of like the same strategy that Warner Brothers took at Comic-Con last year. You know, a lot of people thought it's a little bit early to put out trailers for Wonder Woman, a little bit early to put out trailers for Justice League at last year's Comic-Con. But it wasn't too early, it was brilliant. Because at the time, Warner Brothers was still dealing with the shaky starts for Batman vs. Superman and the shaky response to Suicide Squad and a lot of things about writers and directors coming and going. Warner Brothers wanted to change the narrative brilliantly. They wanted to change the narrative. And the best way to change the narrative was put out a Wonder Woman trailer, put out a Justice League trailer, make them awesome. And just like that, overnight, people started talking in terms of enthusiasm again about the DCEU because these two amazing trailers came out. They changed the conversation. Fast forward to now. Lucasfilm is dealing with a situation where a lot of people are talking about the controversy of the director shakeup. Well, what's Disney going to do? What's Lucasfilm going to do? They're going to bring it up again and keep talking about it? No. They want to change the narrative. So, you know, before, I was completely convinced that Star Wars, there would not be a Star Wars Episode Eight trailer at D23. I was also pretty convinced there wouldn't be a Han Solo trailer. I'm starting to think now, though, because, once again, I think Disney and, War and Lucasfilm are in the position that Warner Brothers was in last year. Disney wants to change the narrative. What's the best way to change the narrative? You want to get people to stop talking about Lord Miller and the director shakeup? 
put out a great episode eight trailer, a, a new one, not the one they put out at uh, Celebration. Put out an actual Han Solo trailer. You wanna get people talking about something else? You wanna change the narrative? Put out one of those trailers. Um, so I, now I think there's like a 50% chance that that happens, whereas before I would have said there was like a 5% chance of that happening. But most importantly, you don't bring it up again. So no, I do not think Kathleen Kennedy is gonna address this. I don't think she should address it. I think she's gotta let it go because people are st finally starting to stop talking about it and you wanna change narrative, don't talk about it anymore. Okay, let's move on to the next question. And the next question comes to us from James Raynard who writes, I was wondering if you could see a possibility of there being another movie about Jim Morrison and The Doors being made. Um, no. No, I don't think so, because there already is one. Oliver Stone did it with Val Kilmer as Jim Morrison. It's called The Doors. I believe it came out in 1991. That's The Doors movie. Now, could now, you never say never about anything, but I mean, as far as within the next two, three, five, seven, eight years... Nah, because there's already a movie about Jim Morrison and the Doors, and it was pretty big and it was pretty famous. And it, uh, some people liked it. I mean, it's 50-50. Some, half the people liked it, half the people didn't, whatever. I thought Val Kimmer did give a great performance. I thought it was one of Val Kimmer's best performances, to be honest with you. I thought he was really good in it. But I just don't see them, you know, stepping up the plate and making another one at this point. Again, maybe in 12 years, 15 years, 20 years, maybe. But anytime in the near future, I just don't see it happening. All right, and we move on to the last question of the day. And the last question is another Star Wars one. It comes from Michael Alfredson, who writes, With The Last Jedi coming out in December, and many of us fanboys are, of course, waiting to see a big moment from Luke, would you prefer a single but lengthy moment where we get to see how powerful he has become? Or would you prefer to see him use his skills throughout the film on more than one occasion? That's a great question. Because I think I would before have said, I want to see him use it throughout the whole movie. But then something funny happened. This little movie called Rogue One came out. And what's the scene that everybody talks about? It's the Darth Vader scene. That's the scene everybody talks about when he starts cutting through those rebel fools, right? That's the scene. What I think I would prefer, and now I'm going to wait and see what they do in the movie. Whatever they do in the movie is probably going to be better than whatever I'm imagining anyway. But the way I would do it right now would probably be something like this. Have Luke have that kind of Darth Vader moment in the first act of the film. Like where like 20 fools show up, you know, on his little, you know, island paradise and decide that they want to mess with Luke or they want to mess with Ray or whatever. And Luke, Luke throws down and just bitch slaps them. Like just knocks them silly. Slaughters them all if you want, whatever. That's what I want to see. So now that that's done, now you know what Luke is and what he can do. And now you can move on with the story. Now you can move on and focus on, you know, Poe and Finn and Ray, And, you know, have a lot of the attention in the movie on Carrie Fisher as well. You can do that now because now we know as Luke goes throughout the film, we know what he is capable of. And you don't have to constantly go back to it and do it again and again. You can put a lot of the focus on the other characters. And I do think, look, I'm a classic original Star Wars nut, but I do think you've you got to put a lot of the focus on the new characters. That's where I think the majority of the focus needs to be. So what you do is you establish Luke's presence in the first act and then you don't have to worry about it through the rest of the movie because we already Luke has already well established his presence. You don't need to worry about anything else. 
All right, guys, that'll do it for my time for this installment of the John Campion Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Once again, if you want to get a topic or an opinion or a question on my podcast, just simply email me at thejohncampionpodcast at gmail.com. Please make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's at youtube.com slash johncampia. And make sure you're following me on social media, on Facebook and on Twitter, just at johncampia. And guys, by the way, I want to remind you again, I love using this app called Share the Meal. It's put out by the United Nations, the United Children's uh, Food Food Fund. It's a real simple app. Just whenever you go to eat, let that be a reminder to you. Oh, open What's the App? Tap the little button that says share the meal and for like three bucks, whatever, you've fed a kid for a week in an underprivileged country. Let's, as film fans, do something good and uh, share the wealth around and make somebody's life actually better. I encourage you, download us both in the iOS store and on the Android store. Download, share the meal, give it a try. I think you'll get hooked on it and I think you're going to love doing it. Anyway, that'll do it for me, guys. Thanks so much for joining me and until next time, bye-bye. The internet has changed. So should the way you bank. PNC Virtual Wallet for Digital Banking. It's time for a change. Now through March 31st, earn up to $300 when you open and use a select new virtual wallet product. Simply establish a qualifying direct deposit. To learn more, visit a branch or pnc.com slash checking offer. PNC Bank. Make today the day. Virtual Wallet is a registered trademark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association member FDIC.